Good morning. My name is Will. I'm part of the leadership team here at East Glenville Community Church. And uh, this morning I'm going to be uh, pinch hitting for Pastor Mitch. And I want to just take this opportunity to extend a warm welcome uh, for those of you that are here this morning in our sanctuary and also to those who are watching online. So where's Pastor Mitch? Well, he and uh, Cheryl and the kids are uh, taking a, a well-deserved vacation after the end of the school year. They're back in Ohio visiting with some extended family, and they'll be back with us uh, next week. Um, so I'm going to step in for him this morning, but let me just take an opportunity to uh, pray for Pastor Mitch this morning. Father, we thank you that you have brought Pastor Mitch and Cheryl and uh, the kids to be part of East Glenville. We know it was a kind of a rough transition as they came during COVID, and I think it was especially hard for the kids uh, just due to the online schooling and trying to make new friends while COVID was going on. But we are thankful that you have brought him here. Uh, we pray that this would be a great week for them to just kind of recharge their batteries, visit with family, uh, and reconnect. Uh, we pray for the car, that it just run well as they go to and from Ohio. And we look forward to Mitch coming back again, being with us next Sunday. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So this morning I'm going to share with you a few thoughts about Matthew chapter 6. Uh, thanks to Brett for reading it for us. And um, I kind of ran across this passage when I was reading uh, the Essential 100 reading plan that we started as a church last fall. Many of you joined us on this uh, plan, and I really liked it because you read 50 passages from the Old Testament, and then you read 50 passages from the New Testament. So it gives you a very good overview of some of the major themes and stories that occur in the Bible. And so I ran across Matthew 6 as part of this. And not only do you get exposed to some of the themes and stories of the Bible, but you also get exposed to the various genres that the Bible's written in. For example, sometimes parts of the Old Testament read like a narrative or a history book as you read about, you know, this uh, guy became king when he was 16, he was a king for this many years, and these events happened during his lifetime. Other times you're reading the Bible and it kind of reads like poetry, especially the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, where you read about how King David is pouring his heart out before God in verse. Other times reading the Bible is like reading letters, especially some of the uh, New Testament, when the Apostle Paul is writing back to churches that he helped establish on some of his missionary journeys. And now he's away from them, so he's writing back to them, continuing to instruct them in their faith. And then other times you read the Bible, and it kind of brings you up a little short, because you're reading along, and it says, you know, as followers of Jesus, we should be like this. And you're going, I'm not like that. So then what do you do with that? Kind of an example of this uh, occurred uh, a little while ago uh, in our Bible study group. We were studying the book of Ephesians, and we got to chapter 5, and we got to one of my favorite verses, which is Ephesians 5.22, which says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. 
Yeah, you can tell how well that went over, right? Uh, but, you know, you kind of sit up a little straighter. You give your wife a little elbow in the ribs and say, you know, this is the word of God. You're listening, right? And, of course, she is. She just smiles at you and says, well, let's continue to read the word of God. And so then you get down three verses later, uh, Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And you go, oh, how do I do that? But as followers of Jesus, that's what we're here to do. We're here to read what God's word says and then try and put it into practice. And so my point is that sometimes the Bible brings you up short. And that's what Matthew 6 did for me as I read through it. There were three things that kind of made me stop and pause for a minute to think about what is Jesus saying here and what do I need to do about it? So let's see what he says. Now, uh, to kind of start off in this passage, how many of you liked English class when you were back in high school or college? That was your favorite class. Oh, are a few of you. How many of you went to class, but you tolerated it to kind of... Okay, there's even more hands. Okay, good. Uh, I was one of those in the latter camp where English class was not my favorite. I, I did pay attention, though, some. And, uh, but one of the things I remember her, uh, this is Miss Steiner, by the way, uh, Miss Steiner teaching us when it came to writing is when you're writing a paper, you want to start right off by providing a good introduction to what you're going to do. And that's what Jesus does for us here in verse 1 of chapter 6. Uh, so let me just read verse 1 again for us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus starts right off with this introduction to these 21 verses that we're going to look at today. And he doesn't kind of waste any time or mince any words um, by providing, you know, beware of this. Don't do this. And why do you think Jesus would say this? I think it's because he saw men and women back in his time getting off course and going astray and doing good spiritual things, but doing them for the wrong reasons. And I wasn't, but this, so this is the first thing that kind of stood out to me in this passage, because as I read verse one, I was thinking, was there any way that I do that? Is there any way that I do good things, but I do them with the wrong motivations? Am I doing them to be noticed by men? So that's the first thing that kind of stood out to me and made me pause when reading this chapter. And I wasn't quite sure exactly what Jesus meant by this, but thankfully he then goes on to illustrate his point by providing three examples. And as he goes through each of these three examples, he's going to talk about the wrong way to do it, what the result is of doing it the wrong way, what he wants his followers to be doing instead, and then what's the result of doing it the way Jesus wants his followers to do it? So let's take a look at the first example, which is found in verses uh, 2 through 4. Verse 2 starts out by saying, so when you give to the poor. So that's the second thing that kind of caught my eye is in verse 2, Jesus is talking about not if you give to the poor, 
but when you give to the poor. So his expectation is that his followers are giving to those in need around him. In fact, for each of the three examples that Jesus is going to talk about, here in verse 2 when he's talking about giving, but also in verse 5 when he's talking about praying, he says, and when you pray, and then in verse 16 when he talks about fasting, he says, and when you fast. So it seems like the clear expectation of Jesus is that his followers are giving, they're praying, and they're fasting. So that's the second thing that stood out to me. Because as I thought about it, I couldn't answer yes to all three of those. I don't fast. So that's the, the second thing that kind of stood out to me. Um, and these three spiritual activities of giving, praying, and fasting are good in of themselves as they are good activities to bring us closer to God, but we can get off track if we start to do them for the wrong reasons. So then Jesus talks about the wrong way of giving. Notice what he says in verse 2. And when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Why do they do that? so that they will be honored by men. So that's their motivation. They're calling attention to what they're doing. And why are they doing that? Because they want the approval of men. They want someone to see, hey, so-and-so, they just, you know, boy, they gave a lot of money. Um, and what does Jesus say? That What's the result of that when they give for those particular reasons? At the end of verse 2, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If your motivation is to give, to be noticed by men, well, you'll get that, but that's all you'll get. What does Jesus want his followers to do instead? Well, that's kind of found for us in verse 3 and 4, when he says, but you, when you give to the poor, Notice he's using the word when again. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, verse 4 then goes on to say, so that your giving will be in secret. And what's the result of that? Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I think the point that Jesus is making is that instead of giving to be noticed by men, we give because we want to be part of what God is doing here in the world. And he's offering to us a choice. Do you want to do this good spiritual activity to be noticed by men, or is it to be noticed by your father? So what's the second example? Second example is prayer. That's found in verses 5 through 13. 5 through 13. Notice again that Jesus is using the word when. And when you pray, um, and then he talks about the wrong way to do it. In fact, he talks about two things he sees people doing wrong with prayer. The first one is found in verse 5 when he says, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why do they do that? Well, so that they may be seen by men. What's the result? He goes on to say in verse 5, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If that's what you want, well, you'll get that, but that's all. And then also down in verse 7, he says, And when you are praying, 
Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard by their many words. So those are the two things that Jesus saw wrong. And what does he want his followers to do instead? Well, in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So does that mean that we can never pray in public, such as what Don did earlier today? No, not at all. We can pray in public. We can pray in our Bible study groups. We can pray aloud. But it all gets back to what's your motivation for doing that? Jesus is trying to get at the inside part of us. What's going on in our hearts when we do things like giving or praying? Um, And then in in, in contrast to what the Gentiles do with their many words and repetition, he then gives us what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 13, which is uh, we're actually going to sing a song about that later on uh, this morning. But, you know, he kind of gives us the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer so that in contrast to the many words and, and endless repetition that the Gentiles were doing, he says, hey, pray then in this way. So I really like how Pastor Mitch has kind of gotten us in the habit of saying the Lord's Prayer together corporately. I think it's a good, good thing to do. Okay, let's go on to our last example, which is found in verses 16 through 18. And these verses are about fasting. And notice again that it's an expectation of Jesus that his followers are fasting as he uses the word when in verse 16. And this is the third and last thing that kind of caught my eye about this passage is I don't, I don't fast. I mean, I've practiced intermittent fast fasting. Has anyone ever done that, intermittent fasting? I've tried to do it for health or dietary reasons. As you can see, it's worked well. Uh, but, um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, he's talking about something completely different. And in verse 16, he says, here's the wrong way to go about it. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance. Why do they do that? So that they'll be noticed by men. What's their result from doing it that way? Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. That's all they're going to get. What does Jesus want us to do instead when we fast? Verses 17 and 18, he makes the point that no one should know that we're fasting. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on some nice clothes. No one doesn't know that you're fasting. Only God knows. And then it says, God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So since I I didn't do fasting, I kind of did a word study to kind of find out more about this topic because to me it seems like it's clear expectation that we should be doing fasting from time to time. And in your handout, I have kind of listed some of the conclusions that I came across when I did this. The word fast or fasted or fasting appears about 71 times in Scripture. There is no command for us to fast on a regular basis. 
However, it does appear to be an expectation on the part of Jesus that we are fasting from time to time. I think we see that clearly here in Matthew chapter 6 and also in Matthew chapter 9 verses 14 and 15. Uh, there's a story where there where some of the followers of John the Baptist come to Jesus and they ask him a question. They say, hey, we fast regularly, and we notice that the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, they also fast regularly as well. But your disciples, they don't fast. Why is that? So then Jesus responds to them by saying, that while the bridegroom is with the guests, they do not fast, but when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. So Jesus is the bridegroom of the church, and he is away now. So I think we can say that the clear expectation of Jesus is that his followers are fasting from time to time. Now, I also looked at when does fasting occur? Can we... And I kind of bend them into four different categories that I saw of when fasting was occurring throughout the Bible. The first one is the category called sin and repentance. And an example of that is found in the book of Jonah, uh, chapter five verses, chapter three, verses five through ten. And you all probably know this story. Uh, God has an, a, an apostle or a prophet by the name of Jonah. He tells Jonah, "Hey, go preach to the people at, at Nineveh." Jonah does the exact opposite, heads 180 degrees. God then, through some circumstances, eventually works through Jonah's heart. Jonah eventually goes to the people of Nineveh and tells them that, uh, that they need to repent, that what they're doing is wrong and they need to you know, get right with God. The people hear Jonah's message, message and it cuts them to the heart. And the king of Nineveh then proclaims a time of fasting and prayer as they repent of their sin and they turn towards God. So that's kind of the first category I saw. The second one was sickness. An example would be in 2 Samuel 12 where David uh, fasts and prays for a, a child who is sick. A third category I saw is protection in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where the king of Judah calls for a time of fasting and prayer as the enemies from outside Judah are threatening them with war. So they go before God and ask for his guidance and his protection. And the last category I saw was guidance from God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus himself spending uh, 40 days and 40 nights fasting and, and in prayer before he begins his public ministry. Also in Acts chapter 13, we see the early church praying and fasting as they're seeking God's wisdom as who should we send out on this missionary journey. Because of their time in prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit directs them to select Barnabas and Saul. And so that's who they send out on the missionary journey. So John MacArthur, in his, he's a pastor in California, he wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew. And he summarizes the teaching on fasting as this. He writes, Legitimate fasting always has a spiritual purpose and is never presented as having any value in and of itself. There is no command to fast. Fasting is an entirely non-compulsory, voluntary act, not a spiritual duty to be regularly observed. In every scriptural account, genuine fasting is linked with prayer. 
Genuine fasting is simply a part of concentrated, intense prayer and concern for the Lord, His will, and His work. So kind of after looking at all this, I personally came to the conclusion that there are times that I should be fasting uh, from time to time. Okay, back to English class. So you've provided an introduction, you've written the body of your paper, now how do you close it out? Summary or conclusion, right? So your introduction, you tell the reader what you're gonna tell them, then you tell them what you're gonna tell them, and then there's a summary or conclusion where you remind them what you just told them. So that's kind of what Jesus does in these 21 verses. Verse one is his introduction, Verses 2 through 18 are kind of the body of what he's talking about. And then he kind of wraps it up with the conclusion, which is in verses 19 through 21. So let me read those again for us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is kind of offering his followers a choice. Giving, fasting, and praying are good spiritual activities, but we can get off track if, our, if we do them in order to be noticed by others. So instead, he's offering us a choice. He wants his followers to be different. So what do we do with these 21 verses? Well, I have a few ideas. Uh, first, let me talk to you, uh, to those that might be here today or watching online that are, are not followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning uh, with a friend or you're still trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. Um, and I don't want you to be confused by what this passage is, is teaching. This passage is not saying that we do good spiritual things, such as giving, praying, or fasting, in order to earn God's favor, in order to merit salvation. The Bible is quite clear that because of our sin, we are separated from God, and that doing good works, we cannot regain that relationship with God. I think this comes across very clearly in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that salvation is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's because of God's love and his grace that he begins a good work inside of us. We respond to that with faith. And the Bible then talks about we become new, new creatures then. And because of that work that God begins in us, we then start to want to follow Jesus by giving, praying, fasting, be, to become more like him and draw nearer to God. But our faith comes first. You have to start there. If you have any questions about this um, and would like to talk to someone, uh, I'll be down up front here after the service, kind of right over there, and I'd love to, to talk with you if you have any questions about that. Now let me talk to you, those who are followers of Jesus. And my suggestion to you is twofold this morning. First, get alone together with God and search your heart. 
Are there any ways in which you have been practicing good things in order to be noticed by others? Is there any way maybe that you've gotten off track in some of the things? You know, Jesus provided us the three examples of giving, praying, and fasting. But we all know this can extend to many other things besides these three. You know, do we, do we serve on a particular board in order to be noticed by others? Did we become an elder or a church officer in order to be noticed by others? Do we teach Sunday school? Do we pinch hit for Pastor Mitch in order to be noticed by others? And if you find that you've done that, then what do you do? Well, thankfully, our Father is a gracious, loving Father. We go to Him. We still live by His grace. You experience grace through salvation, but we continue to live each and every day by grace. So we go to our Father, and we ask for His forgiveness, and we keep moving forward. Secondly, after searching your heart, spend some time in prayer, and let me encourage you this morning to store up treasures in heaven. Seek that. And when you give... I want you to give generously to those around you, to those that you find in need. I want you to be part of what God is doing in the world, but don't do it to be noticed by others. Do it in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, and I want you to pray a lot, but don't do it to be noticed by others. Go to your inner room and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And when you fast... And I think there are times when both individually and corporately we need to be fasting, spending some time with concentrated time with God. Um, when we do this, we should do it not to be noticed by others, but to, to seek God, to seek out his wisdom, his guidance, and his protection. So that's my suggestions for you this morning. Um, now, Chantal and the worship team are going to come on up. And they're going to teach us a a, a new song this morning.